Good love our gracious queens Are throughout their just queens Their time has come United Queendom Oosh, we are bringing you winner, winner chicken dinners in 2020. First you had Bianca Del Rio, and now the queen of season nine. Queen of the roses. The queen of being so emotional. Sasha Velour. I got to interview Sasha about her show, Smoke and Mirrors, which is coming to the UK and Ireland in March, with tickets available now. Apologies about the audio. Sasha sounded a little bit croaky, which I assume was the line. Or maybe, in fact, the show is called Smoke and Mirrors because she spends all the time smoking in front of mirrors. Hmm. Don't joke about that. Anyway, here it is. Enjoy. United Queendom. Hi, Sasha. Hello. I'm Ed. It's lovely to meet you. Hi, Ed. Lovely to meet you, too. Thank you so much for doing this podcast and having me on. Oh, thank you for speaking with me. I found out actually um, just before Christmas that I was getting to do the interview and it actually did feel like a Christmas present. I know that sounds very arse-kissing, oh but I was so excited because <laughs> I've wanted you. to meet you for so long. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited. It's a great way to kick off the new year. So, Happy New Year or Happy New I'm Queer so to you. Excited. Happy New Year. Happy New Queer to you. <laughs> Are you going to get to come to the show in March? Yes, I've just been planning it actually because I can't come to the London show and I've always uh, wanted to go to Dublin because for some reason I've never been. So I'm going to come to your Dublin show, which I'm so oh excited my God, about. Fantastic. Yay, that'll be amazing. So it'll be March t- on the 11th. It'll be two dreams so achieved. It'll be seeing Sasha Velour and getting to go to Dublin. So yeah, I can't wait for that. Getting to go to Dublin and Dublin drag audiences are especially out of this world. So it's going to be a really fun show. <laughs> and what you mean by out of this world is drunk, but yeah, it's a polite way of putting it. There you go. Well, that's what we like out of our audiences sometimes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I read in a recent interview you did that you um, you were hoping to get some downtime over in December, which I imagine is very rare for you. Did you, yeah. did you manage to achieve that? Not so much. In December, we decided to host a New Year's party, which is my show nightgown. Oh, um, yes. So we had all of these different drag artists come together. We put on a big New Year's celebration, finally celebrated midnight when the clock actually struck it instead of 10 minutes later on our own damn time. So <laughs> it felt like a good way to usher in the year. But it did mean uh, not getting so much rest. Um, I've also been working on TV production for the streaming series adaptation of Night Down. So yes. pretty much no time has been taken off, but. Oh, you can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> but um, we're very excited that you're coming here. And I also read that you travel with your dog, Vanya. Are you going to be bringing Vanya to the UK? <laughs> we're trying to get Vanya's doggy passport together with all of his vaccinations and all, the, all those kinds of documentations that you need to travel with the dog so that I can bring him to the UK. I really hope it's possible because my life is much better when I'm traveling with my dog and... Uh, it helps his fantasies of being a jet-setting, you know, celebrity as well. <laughs> yeah, he sounds like a diva. Um, but w- He's such a diva. What, what can the fans who are mostly familiar with you from season nine of Drag Race expect from the show uh, that might surprise them? Ooh, well, <clears throat> let's see. I think, I think people who watch the show know how much 
is, and that really is what what uh, the Chef's Book and Mirrors is all about. Yeah. So it's like they saw they saw what I could do without any rehearsal or uh, ability to prepare a lip sync, and that is what I did with Sound Emotional with the rose petals. So Which we're all still in recovery from. It's really. <laughs> I've even done one as well. I'll send but, it to you. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, you'll have to you'll have to bring that after that one. Um, I was going to ask you actually. I was going to get to it later, but now we're yeah. we've we've haven't been able to help but get to it. I wondered if when you were going into that moment, because um, no one really but you knew you were going to do it. Did you kind of know you were going to win because you knew what you had packed up your sleeve, or no. were you not convinced it was going to turn out the way it did? No, I had I, I had no expectation to win at all. You know, I, I didn't want to give up all hope, but I, re- I truly wasn't expecting. I, I just, what I was excited for is it because, because I had not lip-synced all season, I was actually excited to finally lip-sync. I was like, it's always my favorite part of Drag Race when I watch it, the show now, and then I'll skip right ahead and watch the lip-sync first. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was proud that I hadn't had to lip-sync for my life, but I was desperate to get to to showcase that on TV. So I was just excited for the first opportunity to look sync all season and I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I do in Brooklyn. I'm gonna try to make it as, you know, signature me as I possibly can under the constraint. <laughs> um, well- it was it was exciting. I think the thing as well is that a lot of the fans talk about now because uh, they say even if you hadn't pulled the um, amazing uh, stunt that you did, you still would have won both your lip sync, you both your lip syncs because it was uh, a full performance. It wasn't just about one reveal. Um, but were you surprised that none of your competitors brought the same kind of thinking to the to the finale? I don't know. It's like there's so many different ways to kill a lip sync, like you're saying. Yeah. Um, like, just, just, just preparing, you can prepare choreography, you can prepare, like, an interpretation, an emotional interpretation of the song, so I really wasn't sure what all of them were going to do, you know, we, I think, the, the idea is, you're always supposed to prepare something show-stopping and amazing, <laughs> even if you're, if you only have 10 minutes to do it, so, um, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that, I'm glad that people responded so well. To, to what I did. I'm always like, you know, I'm not a good dancer. So <laughs> what can I do that's going to keep people's attention on me um, when I know I don't have, you know, Oh, it feels like uh, dips and <laughs> Oh, well, it feels like with just one glance you can tell like a thousand different stories and emotions. So I think that's what people connected with as well. Um, but you're also being, <laughs> for being so amazing in that finale, people are blaming you now for what's come afterwards because there's been a lot of kind of f- <laughs> failed reveals afterwards. Do you take responsibility for this? <laughs> no, no, I do not take responsibility for bad <laughs> reveals. My word, I did not put that out there. No, that's, you didn't. Look, that's much more ancient. <laughs> been around since the, bad reveals have been around since the dawn of Dragdom. Um, that is not my fault. <laughs> do you think I, any- do like, I do like that that people thought people felt so excited by seeing costume reveals that weren't the most obvious costume reveals that I think now that's got people 
trying to think of new things. But again, it's not about it's not about the ambition of the reveal or the complexity. It's sometimes the simplest idea is what is what works best. It's about having a connection to the lyrics of the song, having meaning behind the reveal. I think about my reveals as like like the you know, the climax of the number. It's like you, yeah. you build and build to something that makes sense and then it's satisfying when it reaches it because you've you've structured a whole narrative through the performance. So you have to introduce you know, it's like you introduce the rose and then it grows and then it becomes a reveal. You don't just like rip something off and there's something out of yeah. with no context for it. Mm-hmm. It has to tell a story. Do you, do you think that anyone can possibly ever top you when it comes to those finale reveals, or do you think you're safe in the... Because no one expected it, so now it's kind of like you set the bar. There is something definitely like the unexpected factor works in my advantage. There will never be another first lip sync for the crown. But yeah. I do hope that someone has me so surprised and shocked that I'm like speechless and can. I hope I can pass on the the title of, like, lip-sync for... Lip-sync that gets people talking. Well, like... I, I, I hope they will. Yeah. Uh, like you said, uh, that's what you were able to do within the confines of a of a competition. Um, but now, with your show, Smoke and Mirrors, it's you not only star in it, but you produce it completely yourself. So, I mean, there's no limit yeah, to what I you could do it, with that. Yeah, it's really exciting. I, I, it's kind of the opportunity I... I feel like I've been waiting for my entire time doing drag to really be free artistically to to create any kind of performance and have people there ready to see it, open-minded, excited. So it's like, I can um, do all kinds of fun things on stage and smoke and mirrors. I'm in a rainstorm. I saw myself in half. I disappear and reappear. I transform my costume and my appearance, but there's a lot of gender fluidity and gender play, but it's also like, it's very, just like so emotional, all of those spectacular elements are oh. telling kind of deeper personal stories. Oh, I, I so can't wait to it's, see it's it. all the stuff I've always been doing. Yeah, thank you. And as well as, um, obviously, the creative freedom you get one of the things I've loved hearing about is that one of the reasons you love producing the show is because it gives you control over how inclusive you get to make all the different spaces I just wondered if you had any advice for other people producing their own show on how they could um, achieve that as well as you are doing well I guess it all depends on like what what is really what your values are primarily in in the world of drag it's like for me I love I love being able to have people focus on the drag performance and for me that means like good lighting on the show like a nice space to do it in the audience being comfortable um some people are more fans of the like nightlife party experience which is a part of drag as well an important part of our community spaces that's just not necessarily my main focus i want people to pay attention to the performances um but when it comes to the nature of the space itself, I feel like one of the really big shifts that we as a whole need to be fighting for is to make sure that spaces that are centered on queer culture are um, not misogynistic, open yeah. and safe for women, specifically all the amazing queer women that are part of our community. Yeah. And that drag itself is op- is very, very open, is, is an open, comfortable space for for trans and non-binary people, which is, I think, kind of essential to the history. Like, yeah. drag is a place where trans and non-binary people can be out 
can work, can find employment, can find community, a sense of normalcy. Um, and far too often in my experiences of actually working in the scene, I'll enter spaces that are outwardly, I've worked with like promoters where they cultivate like an outwardly misogynistic or transphobic environment. And it's yeah. like, for drag? Mm-hmm. So I think as, maybe this is a, maybe this is an overgeneralization, but I've found in the spaces where artists are in charge, there's much, much less of that. It's like old guard producers who kind of have, you know, an old fashioned way of, of running business. Those are the ones where, where we run into problems. But when it comes to artists themselves, it's like we know what the makeup of our community looks like. And we're going to yeah. fight to make sure that that is protected and represented everywhere we turn. So I, I think that is the shift I'm seeing happening. I'm seeing a lot of drag artists themselves finally, I mean, have the resources, have the money to like run run the, run the show. And I think that's going to be a real positive change in terms of advancing the industry and the economy of drag. Yeah, and I think what you're doing is going to be a huge inspiration for other drag artists to follow suit and take control of that, because it's a lot of work, isn't it? But I imagine it's very um, rewarding to do it. I was going to ask you... um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, something I've noticed... I feel like I've noticed growing in recent years, although I don't know if this is to do with social media and noticing it more, is there's a lot more infighting within the LGBT community, uh, do you have you noticed that, and do you think that we used to be more united? I think social media, of course, exacerbates that. And again, under stress, when we're under attack from the outside, it's easier to point fingers within yeah. the community than it is to like just hide the real, the the big demon. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's comforting to start fights with your family. Um, yeah. But did you get some kind of catharsis from it? But I think we do need to rally again behind all LGBTQ people and if our politics do not are exclusionary they're not the right ones yeah. <laughs> um, so to the extent that not everyone sees eye to eye on that in the community I think there are problems that we need, we need to fix well I feel um, like uh, uh, that's been there too Yeah, I feel like these days a lot of the people arguing have the same values but a lot of the division comes based on language and people disagreeing on how to label things. Right. Do you think often sometimes the conversation about language can be distracting from the the real kind of more important issues? Or do you think language is important enough to take centre stage like that? Yes and no. I mean, we can't really, we can't get away from language. Yeah. Like, it's language, it's sort of like, language and gender sometimes have similarities. It's like, those are the ways that we practically navigate the world. It's like everything has to be filtered. Mm-hmm. Our, our entire sense of like reality doesn't have to be filtered through language. Yes. Through like ex- our entire sense of self does have to be filtered through gender and the way that gender is expressed and interpreted in the world. So I feel like with both of those things, sensitivity <laughs> is required. Yes. And um, people have to be like purposeful and, re- and respectful when it comes to addressing each other. Mm-hmm. But intention and intention does matter as well, and I think trying to look at the the whole of what a person has said. It's like I was. <laughs> this is going to get really deep, but when I, I used to go for it. Interested in becoming a translator when I was a kid. I was really, really interested in the idea of translation and the ways in which I wanted to translate, like between English and Russian. I thought. 
there's so many things that are just like impossible to translate with a simple direct translation. And I often feel like sometimes people speaking the same language, even people who think they have the exact same shared set of experiences, sometimes just a direct translation of what's in their head leaves out all of these details. And so yeah. I think we're constantly trying to figure out what has been lost in translation yeah. when we're when we're speaking. Um, Especially and, on social uh, media, I guess. The only, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so sometimes those spots where people are having issues with language, with like a specific word sensitivity, those I think are worth studying and exploring and trying to figure out where different people's perspectives are coming from. So I'm always just, I'm trying not, I try to not have like strong reactions necessarily to how words should be because it's all just <laughs> smoke and mirrors, if you will, language yeah. itself. <laughs> and we have to like real figure out like why do people feel such attachment or resistance to certain words and what is an actual productive way of moving forward. And I've found usually it can't be said in a simple sentence. It has to be like you need to create your list, think about it, you need to create your like <laughs> 300-page philosophical treatise on it, and somewhere <laughs> in the mixture of those things, you're going to find an answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, recently people have been talking specifically about the word fishy. Do, do, have you had much of an opinion oh, on, I saw that. on that? But to me, that's, this is an old conversation that has long been resolved. It's like, we don't, in, in my community in Brooklyn, Many women in the drag scene said they were not a fan of the word fishy, so people tried to stop using it. Which yeah. I think is like pretty straightforward. <laughs> um, yeah. It's easy to not say the word. Um, but it, I understand it has a history, and many people, people who were using it, didn't necessarily mean it in a purposefully misogynistic or trans exclusionary way. But I understand, once it's explained, it does kind of, <laughs> the pieces be set together. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Um, I think, similar to what you said, it's kind of um, remembering what intention is. So I think if people are more forgiving when no hatred was intended, I think that's a better way to get better results. Yeah. I think people are a lot of too aggressive and it kind of puts people off having an open dialogue these days and I think sometimes it's counterproductive and I see where, why people are passionate when talking about these issues, especially when it affects them directly. But I do think kind of um, sometimes you, what is it, get more the get more bees with honey? Is um, that the saying? I always get this wrong. Like... <laughs> yes. Um, I do, I do appreciate the theatrics of, like, do not use that word. Like, sometimes that has power in the impact, so I see why people adopt that approach. Oh, yeah, I meant more, um, you get more flies yeah. with honey, not more bees. Don't bees make the honey, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, was... not more bees. You get more flies with honey. Yeah, I was scared of sounding <laughs> stupid speaking to someone so intelligent, and then I did it. But <laughs> oh my god, not at all. Yeah, no. Um, can uh, you, would you? You could have. You could have got me there. <laughs> could you tell me a little bit about the um, the TV series uh, Nightgowns, which is going to be on Quibi? Oh yeah. Am I saying Quibi right? Quibi. I believe so. Quibi. It's it's short for quick bite. It, oh, it's fun. Um, fun because, to say. Yeah, the philosophy is that, which I think is kind of brilliant that people's attention span is about nine minutes. <laughs> so um, so every, all the narrative sections of the different TV shows are split up into kind of nine-minute increments that you can watch on the go. 
on yeah. device. On, because most people, including me, I watch all my TV shows on my phone now. It's worrying, though, isn't it? It's designed TV shows for, for phones. Yeah. Like, I do it myself. It's worrying. Yeah, I do it myself, but it worries me to watch my attention span shrink. I'm not sure that's a good thing, but I am doing it and I'm not preventing it. But I, <laughs> sometimes I struggle to sit through a film these days. And I'm like, is that is that normal? I don't know. I know. <laughs> it's not It's not normal. But we just got to get, and uh, now I guess the solution, one of the solutions, we have to train ourselves to read War and Peace again. Yes. And also work on getting the key information into nine-minute segments. But when you're not in the mood for war and peace, you can get all the things that you need. Oh, we've gone over um, nine minutes with this podcast. No one will be listening now. Yeah. That's it. They're gone. <laughs> so it's just us. <laughs> but um, in, in the show... Yeah, we hope we got the important stuff in. <laughs> in. In the show, are you going to be kind of revealing a lot about yourself? Um, because I feel like even though we know you, we don't, you don't always share all your... It feels like you, you keep boundaries, which I imagine is important when you have a high profile. It is, but this... The, this show, it, it's a combina- it's combination of like real behind the scenes documentary that shows re- really personal aspects of my life, of the lives of some of the artists that I work with, and especially about our process when it comes to like thinking up a, a drag idea and bringing it to life. Yeah. And like all of the insecurities and questions that are part of that, all of the different ideas that you might not necessarily realize are at play when you're just watching it in the audience. And then, you know, I get, of course, people people like to see behind the curtain, but my favorite yeah. thing about this series is that we we actually capture the performance, like with the, with the audio, filmed beautifully by Sophie Muller, who's my favorite music video director from the UK, um, who did all the Annie videos that changed <laughs> my life in the 90s. And I think that, that to me is one of the most exciting things People are used to seeing drag artists on TV rising to challenges that are thrown their way. But how often do you get to see someone preparing something completely out of their own creative vision? Like, yeah. practically, it doesn't usually happen because you can't just acquire the music rights to whatever song anyone chose. Yeah. So we went through, like, months and months of trying to get song choices approved that everyone could be happy with. But before we even started producing these numbers we had clearance to do the music and i think that that really is an that that was an exciting approach to me because i believe that there's some power in in the actual artistic intention behind drag and having people be able to have some freedom yeah so do do we see you kind of um vulnerable and stressed and all that element of it because in drag race usually part of every contestant's journey is like a massive breakdown. It's like part of the show, but you really <laughs> kind of managed to skip that whole part. We never saw you fully phased on the show. I just have internal, <laughs> have internal quiet breakdown. <laughs> I can see my break. When I watch season nine back, I can see all my breakdowns. They're just like quiet little eye twitches. <laughs> um, and I try to, I, it's funny in, you know, nightgown, in our nine minutes of nightgowns, you see a little bit of that, but, in a way, Nightcomes is more about like the connection between all these different performers, between um, all the different kinds of people who do drag, drag kings, drag queens, AFAB, trans, gender non-conforming artists. And it's like, we each have our little insecurities, but it's more about the ways that we are actually like supporting and shifting each other's drag in different ways. Mm. In Smoke and Mirrors, however, I 
Oh, wow. Even though it's like totally scripted and theatrical and a lot of it is expressed through (laughs) through performance art, which can be so esoteric. I feel like I I, I get so honest in smoking mirrors about my emotional life and about what behind the scenes of a drag queen really looks like that when my dad came to see it, he was like, are you sure you're comfortable sharing this much about yourself on stage? Um, <laughs> and I feel like that, I was proud of that. <laughs> Make my own father nervous. Um, I think, I think it's important to be, to be honest, especially, especially now being in the public eye. When I was just so, you know, a working artist, maybe it wasn't as important, but I think now that young, there's young people who saw me on TV look up to me as an art figure I want them to see that it's not all like it's not all perfect it's not all brilliant <laughs> there's, yeah. there's moments of self-doubt there's moments of being wrong there's moments of making mistake mistakes the idea that perfection is really part of the game is the ultimate smoking mirrors I was gonna say that's the thing that I've um throughout when I first became familiar with you, it seems like a theme is t- taking something painful and turning it into something powerful and beautiful. And I feel like you bring that to everything you do. Um, is that important? To, do you do that consciously or is that just kind of how it, how it happens? I think, uh, thank you for saying that. It's so, that's so important to me. I think that's what, what drag does best. I, yes. I started out kind of by accident. I like would just put things I was upset about or struggling with in my drag. And then at the end of it, I somehow felt better. Mm-hmm. And the drag became the best way to share what I was experiencing with other people. Instead of like a an essay or something, being yeah. able to translate it into a performance made it more accessible and universal. And so that's sort of like, I feel like I discovered it through trying, through just sort of like what I needed to do to process. Yeah. different experiences and now it's something I, I do very purposefully I see it as like is really what we're here for as entertainers and it makes it feel like it was worth something going through something hard doesn't it if it, you managed to turn it into something mm. good it's just a very cathartic feeling yeah something and something that other people get help from that makes that makes pain feel very worth yeah well. or it's not something to regret um you're you're kind of in some ways unique um, in terms of people who've won Drag Race because you you've created your own lane and you kind of exist and thrive within it. Um, but it, because of that, sometimes it seems like you're more keen to distance yourself from the show than other people who've emerged from it. Would, would that right. be right, or is that more of a misconception? I'm not necessarily keen to distance myself from the show. I'm just like I I I. I make more excited about the projects that I'm really working on. Um, I feel like my drag has grown a lot since I was on Drag Race, so my focus is on what I'm doing now. But it's like deeply indebted to the fact that I appeared on this show, and I think Drag Race, I'm really proud to be part of the Drag Race phenomenon because <laughs> it, it got, it like kind of revived drag, especially in the States. Um, and it, it gave me so much pride as a gay person to like be have this different culture that is celebrated yeah. through Paul's Drag Race. So I'm just like you know I just want to focus. I'm maybe if it seems like I'm I'm distancing myself, it's because I'm you know I'm just like focused on what I'm doing and I'm not yeah. part of the show anymore. 
And um, you, you must get asked this a lot as someone who speaks so much about inclusivity. But Drag Race, as a, a show, gets criticised a lot for um, uh, not being inclusive enough. Do you think it's fair the amount of criticism it gets, considering it is such, has been such a groundbreaking show? Or do you think that comes with the territory of being the biggest show in that, in that community that you... <laughs> It's both. It's both. Of yeah. course, I, I believe that, that drag race should have more trans uh, drag artists on it. I think it would only add to the the quality of drag that we're seeing, the quality of, of like, drama and excitement that we get. Um, but um, there's always going to be criticisms of, yeah. uh, of something that has that much success and that much, um, that much attention. It's like, there's other solutions than just endlessly criticizing something that is making a positive difference. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I, you know, I believe there should be, there should be women represented in drag, so I am creating my own show that has lots of women drag artists in it. Um, yeah. It's like, I think that, that, that's, that's my response to it. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I try to see all the many, many positives, and then if I have notes, I'm going to apply that to my own work. Yeah. And I think because you of the way you speak about these issues and speak so eloquently about them and so knowledgeably, people have a very serious perception of you sometimes, even though you've demonstrated many times how funny you are and you obviously have a great sense of humour as well. But do you find that sometimes you feel a bit of pressure as a role model to kind of be serious and kind of alert to all these things at all times and sometimes you can't relax as much as other famous drag queens in that respect? <laughs> Sometimes I feel pressure to be funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, like, I can't, all I want to do is go on, like, a deep rant that makes no sense. Um, <laughs> you know, I was actually just telling, telling my publicist, I'm like, my goal for 2020 is keep things short and make them funny. <laughs> um, that's what, that was RuPaul's big advice for me, actually, which I, I continue to try to learn. It's like, Humor does does so much, and sometimes like things that are said as a joke can be smarter than things said with the most seriousness that you can muster. So you know, it is about is it a it is a balance. And I when I when I write, I think off the cuff, I'm very serious. That's just like being like from a Jewish intellectual family. That's like we get into arguments with each other about ideas. So that's how I'm used to talking to people. But when yeah. I write scripts, when I prepare performances, that's where I try to, that's where I feel so comfortable injecting humor. It's like Smoke and Mirrors is a, is a balance of really funny and really like kind of dark, sad, personal stuff. And when I, when I have nightgowns, like the, the nightgowns TV show, because we have lots of different entertainers, it's, it's really easy for it to go into really funny, lighthearted stuff. I think that balance is crucial to drag. Yeah. So I, I'm looking to have even more of it for me. Oh, well, I'm sure you will. Um, but I have a few questions from Reddit, if um, you wouldn't mind. I asked them earlier oh, if they Lord. have anything. Yeah. They're actually not bad. Okay. I was expecting worse. But um, uh, Scarlet, Scarlet Miltz asks, um, do you have any plans for a feature-length film? Uh, your short gave me such hope that you would make one at some point. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, my, I made a short film uh, of Pirate Jenny, the, the song from Free Penny Opera about... Yeah, a few people asked about this actually. Revenge on the town, <laughs> which is sort of a, a metaphor for disrupting a fucked up drag e- 
economic spaces like the uh, the bar where I got my start, where we in fact filmed it and I destroyed. Oh shit, I need to watch TV. this. I can't believe I haven't seen it. But yeah, a few <laughs> people were asking about it, so it's definitely people want more. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, no, that was exciting. I worked with um, with filmmakers and with lighting people and really tried to learn like that side. It's my Drag Race was my first experience in front of cameras, and I wanted to learn more about what was going on the other side of them as well. Because I think I think I I, I would enjoy being able to direct. Um, oh, that'd be so cool! Especially especially other people in drag. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think that's around the corner. The my role in um, in creating this TV show was pretty big, and like altogether, the the Nightgowns series. As the executive producer, but I'm also the the director of the stage show itself. So yeah. I did kind of get to play that role a little bit. Oh, have you um, taken on a really really enjoyable? Have you taken on a production role in the TV series as well? Then as the as the stage show? Yes, I'm the executive executive producer of the TV series. Oh wow, God, that's a whole new world for you then, isn't it? Um, exciting. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's been really, really exciting. It's fun, fun challenge, challenging to think about. Like, I'm, I'm even understand, reflecting on my time on Drag Race, you know, which is now yeah. like two or three years ago. I'm, I feel like I understand even better how certain decisions get made, mm-hmm. but also how they could be made differently. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question from Crispy Baked Brain. People have weird names on Reddit. They yeah. ask, uh, Love would. It. <laughs> Would you like to perform stronger with a similar dress and wig and use a pair of scissors to cut up your wig like you'd <laughs> planned in the season nine finale? I would die to see it in action. I've thought about it. I've thought about it. <laughs> well, I love that question. That is like a, a deep cut. I've only, I think I've only said that in a couple of interviews. But yeah, I was, I was prepared to do Britney Spears stronger in that exact outfit that I did so emotional in. Oh um, and I've never really tried it. Um, so yeah, maybe that's my next show. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want to see you ruin that wig now because that wig is now legendary. So if you cut it up, people will be crying. I have, well, I have four different versions of that wig. Oh, great. <laughs> you, well, you can lose one then. That's fine. <laughs> um, exactly. And Dale asks, I know you're unlikely to take part in an all-winners season, but hypothetically, how do you think you'd fare? I think you'd win. So this is the all-winners oh, season people speculate nice. about. But um, yeah, I don't think it'll ever happen, but hypothetically do you think that you would do well oh, sure i think i would do well you know i i would love to i always think about what i would do if, if i went back now that i i feel i've learned so much more about what it takes to be a successful drag queen what it takes to be a successful whatever tv character <laughs> the yeah. two things you have to balance as a repulse drag race contestant and uh it would be enjoyable. I don't know. I didn't think I was going to win season nine, but definitely I would not be walking into an all-winner season. <laughs> Very hopeful. But it's like, that's not the point. Well, you Every don't really have... Um, on television wins. You don't really have a weak spot. Usually even the biggest stars from Drag Race have like a Achilles heel, but you didn't really demonstrate that. So I do think you could be... Um... Oh my God, I'm putting that quote in my on my website right now. Does not have a weak spot. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Tell my therapist about this. Um, and just one last question from Reddit was from Andrea she said um, who from Drag Race would you like to see on an all-stars season Shea Goulet I'm ready for Shea to win an all-stars season oh from from Um, what I hear that she may be on the next all-stars season but I I guess we can't say I hope so 
by the time this goes out, we might. Yeah, have I barely to. know. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you and Shay still uh, close friends? It was beautiful watching your friendship evolve yeah, in season nine. Oh my gosh, yeah, she's. I, I look up to her so much as a drag artist, and we still like we touch base every time that we can. She came to see Smoke and Mirrors when we stopped by Chicago. I went. I saw her show Kool-Aid with the Sea when it appeared here in New York. So it's like. I feel like we we evolve sometimes in similar ways, and I'm really excited to see. I would be so excited to see her. I would be so excited to see her back on TV, slaying it again. Same with Peppermint, actually. I know she's been appearing in like network TV shows recently, and she and I are planning on doing a kind of college speaking tour together since we're both. Oh wow! We've gotten really close living in New York and kind of talking about our shared experiences on Drag Race with. Basically, the connection between drag and gender and all those things we love talking about. Um, I would love to see her on All Stars. I'm like, I have this fantasy that the top four of season nine will all have crowns by the time (laughs) RuPaul's Drag Race is over. It's like, we've already got, me and Trinity already got them. So I feel like we just need Shay and Peppermint to get crowns, and then that would be truly legendary. Every all the top contestants in season nine would crown. Well, people, because I must uh, confess, I do spend time on the on the Reddit, and um, they often debate about who's got the best cast of all the seasons. And season nine is often mentioned because everyone in the cast was amazing in their own way, wasn't it? There wasn't really any filler or anything. It was a great, great, great cast. So a great one to win then, because that means you were the the creme of a very, very good cast. That's why I tell myself. Thank you. You can put that on the website as well. I I thought it was a really, exactly, I will. It was was a really hard group to compete against, so I would believe that. I think we are one of the strongest. Oh, amazing. Well, that's all my questions, Sasha. Thank you so much for speaking to me. It's been absolutely amazing. It's everything I hoped it would be and more. Um, you're amazing to talk to, and I'm so, 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 so excited to see Smoke and Mirrors and to see Nightgowns on Quibi. Yeah, I truly can't wait for that, and I'm yeah, excited to meet you in person and see you in Dublin and all that. Yeah, I'm going to make you watch that video of me doing the rose petals. It's actually awful, but the lip sync is good, but I don't look good. But yeah, you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, what a perfect introduction. You need to sell yourself more strongly. <laughs> no, you'll <laughs> see. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Thanks, Sasha. Dad. Goodbye. Bye, darling. United Queendom.